0: diversity, inclusion, and equity are all three very different things. And so I think I definitely have been, been, uh, in companies where I felt less included, you know, included even companies that had best intention to be, to be very
1: diverse. Welcome to the get the marketing talent podcast. This is your host, Erica Seidel. We explore what it takes to get and keep the best marketing leaders in the B2B SaaS world. Welcome to The Get. I'm Erica Seidel and my guest today is Christy Marble. Christy is the CMO for Pantheon, the website operations platform company. Christy was previously CMO of Vizier, the people analytics company, and before that CMO of SAP Concur. Uh, She was actually a client of mine at uh, at Concur, which was great fun. Um, Christy, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: I am so excited to chat with you. Um, let us start with something a bit personal. Uh, you have your own kind of petri dish of gender diversity at home. Like this whole podcast is about a lot about diversity in um, B2B SaaS. But in, um, in your house, you know, you have teenage twins, a boy and a girl. So, again, your own little uh, kind of laboratory of gender diversity. Can you... Talk about moments when you have confronted gender dynamics at home that have made you think uniquely about gender dynamics in the workplace.
0: Sure, definitely. Um, yeah, it's it's tons of fun having having boy girl twins, and uh, one thing I've definitely noticed is um, they've they've kind of now that they become teenagers, they've they've kind of shifted a little bit in in their style and confidence. And it used to be that that my daughter was uh, you know fierce in her in her confidence and my son was a little more you know shy and timid and i can see as they become te- teenagers that that's definitely shifted and um uh, definitely one of the things that we see uh around or we've noticed uh, as we've as, as this uh, kind of time has come and my daughter has a little bit less confidence i think that happens in the in the teenage years we we really focus on trying to buoy it buoy it up as uh, as well as um We've noticed ourselves falling into the classic gender stereotypes that you hear about the workplace uh, over our dinner table conversations. We uh, have a big commitment to to do our best to have uh, dinner together, and certainly this year we've pretty much been able to have dinner together every night because we're all all home together. But one thing that we notice is uh, us actually happening is is we do notice that that. We'll talk over, uh, you know, my daughter, she'll be talking and, uh, we'll, we'll end up talking over her and we have to be very deliberate. I know my husband, and I will look at each other and go, Oh my gosh, we did that. And, uh, and to go back and make sure that they, that, that she has a voice. The other thing that we notice is that she'll, she'll almost pause and, uh, ask for permission where my son will just interrupt you know we 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 say squirrel squirrel because because when he gets a thought he's just out with it and and talking about it so so we definitely notice that that dynamic and we we try it as a as a family to kind of call that out we have fun with it but to call it out and say whoa wait a minute stop stop so uh so definitely interesting to see that and to see the same things uh and in in meetings at work and uh, to try to tactfully, just as tactfully at work uh, as we do at home, uh, call it out and make sure that the person that's getting talked over has the opportunity to, to pause and, and to have a voice. When we look at unintentional bias, I think we have to go a bit deeper and, and look at, at how are we expecting to pe- people to be like us? Are we allowing people to, to come as they are and, uh, and to be included and effective in a work environment?
1: I'm so glad you brought up this issue of kind of speaking style because I um, was working on a search recently. It's a VP of marketing role that I'm recruiting for. And there um, was somebody who was not perceived as well as some other candidates because she was not as concise in her answers as she met with the hiring leader. Um, is that Based on what you're saying, do you think that's unintentional bias right there? Or is it, you know, can we just say, okay, she, she wasn't concise and, and you know, we can ding her because we really need conciseness in this job?
0: There is something that happens, and I, I notice it um, with people maybe who are newer to the workforce, and I definitely notice it with women, and I definitely exhibit it myself, which is, Feeling a need to over explain, perhaps uh, and and that maybe comes from feeling misunderstood yeah. <laughs> like that that people don't get it, and if is it that people don't get it because they can't see that point of view that that empathy mm. element mm-hmm. uh, that it may be problematic but in fairness to to this person if there is an organization that's not going to be tolerant to that candidate's communication style then they even uh, even best intentions to be diverse and to welcome that candidate in it will likely be a very awkward you know that that where you talk about fit that, that yeah. dilemma of fit, but if a person feels differently, if they feel like they're the different person, gosh, it takes a pretty strong uh, psyche mm. to ride that white horse and and drive change. And uh, when you when you don't feel included in a work environment, whether it's a, a C level executive at the table. Or, or whether it's a, a member at any level inside the company, inside the team, if you don't feel included, um, then, then that's only, you know, diversity, inclusion, and equity are all three very different things. And so I think I definitely have been, been uh, in companies where i felt less included, you know, included, even companies that had best intention to be, to be very diverse.
1: Right, right. That is a very good point. Yeah, diversity, equity, inclusion, all three very different things. It's, yeah, well said. And thank you for re- reacting to that. I've been you know, wondering about that for a while. Um, let's zoom out now, Christy, to kind of talk about your career path, because I, I think it's interesting. Um, several years ago, you did this pivot from B2C to B2B. You went from Sally Mae to Vertifor. Um, and it's often, you know, B2B companies will say like, oh, we want somebody with a lot of B2B experience and, you know, it can be hard to make that shift. So can you can you talk about that? And, and based on your experience, if you were on the board of a company, how would you react if um, your fellow board members only wanted to hire a CMO with, say, B2B SaaS experience, but not something from something else?
0: Sure, yeah, I actually went, uh, I was in B2B before Sally Mae and then I went to uh, Sally Mae to to start up uh, consumer consumer um, products for them and then back into B2B and um I think definitely when I was at Sally Mae our entire consumer selling experience happened online so while it wasn't a SaaS the experience was a cloud-based e-commerce experience and a common thread in my career has really been that companies who have um, it's serving companies who have multiple segments of customers and really understanding that. So not being so narrowly focused that you're only thinking of the people who buy your products, but when you're actually thinking about serving the people who use um, your your products as well. And that's what I'm super passionate about. As as a marketer, and that's what draws me to SaaS, is I have had a fabulous experience uh, with that, definitely at Concur, and, and certainly now at Pantheon. And I believe that the best um, SaaS companies understand that the winning recipe is supporting all of the people um, that are involved in in your software, in your, in your product. And so that's the people who use the software, the applications, the end consumers. So so just like who I was marketing to at at Sally Mae. So those are the people who are using your software applications, um, as well as the people who are the buyers of your your software applications who are often very different people. There's many cases where the people who actually use the budget and buy the product are not ever inside the product on the day to day basis. And, Uh, And then for Pantheon, if I apply that, we can stretch further. So we have end users who are inside of our platform every day using it, and they are developers, and then we have buyers who are more often maybe a head of IT or, or most frequently a marketing, a communication type of role. And then we also can see that third level of consumers and those are the people who use their websites the websites that our customers create on side of our uh, on top of our platform and when you can win when you can deliver a compelling experience to all three sets of of your audience, these people, when all three love the experience that the uh, that you deliver, um, that's when you win, and and that's really what I love about SaaS. So if a, a board wants to only hire someone with SaaS experience, what what I would do is drill into a little bit about what is it, what's the element of that SaaS experience that you're looking for? Is it more about what's unique about SaaS pricing because that's typically unique as well? Um, is it uh the uh, The uniqueness about who really are the uh, the people the personas that that you need to serve and and that there often is is more than one and uh, the key to to delivering great software and apps is is to to make the experience magic for for
1: all of them well said thank you thank you that's helpful. Um, So, going back to your career, you know, uh, a few years ago, you were were at Concur, we worked together on the search, it was a lot of fun, Um, and that was a billion-dollar-plus company, and then you've since then been in smaller environments, Um, and in my search work, often people kind of get branded as big company people, and then when they are looking to make a switch to a smaller company, you know, it can be hard to make that switch. so what's your take if you were talking to a, a candidate, a CMO candidate that comes from a big company, um, how can that person convince a hiring committee that they are like what ready and willing and able to roll up their sleeves at a smaller company?
0: Yeah, I think um, I think first for the smaller company, it's they've, they've got to be uh, they've got to think quite a bit about the stages they're in and where they want to go. Um, because it's it's definitely true that there's people who can um, can bring their best to um, to different stages of of company growth. So I think both the company and the candidate need to have a good good feeling about it. Um, the same things that, that you know it's so true that that adage that what got you here is not the same thing that's going to get you to the to the next stage um there's different things and um gosh when i think of an analogy and and i'm not uh, i'm not a serious adventure climber but um but when i think about when people summit um mount everest they hire a sherpa and what's the sherpa the sherpa is someone who's been there before it's someone that they can trust to help them avoid the risk that has that can bring some of the tools that they've used in the past and know how to cross the treacherous ground. Um, and it takes a certain amount of humility um, to be a, a sherpa, right? To guide, to coach, and share, but to not um, insult or patronize. Um, or diminish the expertise of entrepreneurs who have these great brilliant ideas um, for how they want to change the world but they really need the the operational you know they need to operationalize it they need to scale and I think that's what um, what what I feel like I'm able to bring um, having had time in in big companies is, some frameworks. I have some some basic frameworks that um, that I can plug in. There, you know, we talk in uh, in our marketing team. There's really not much we need to be inventing right now at the stage we're in. There's a lot of great work that other marketers, best practices that other marketers have done out there, and we need to grab that and apply it. Uh, inside of Pantheon to accelerate our our growth and to achieve our goals, and there will be a time for inventing, but it's not right now at the stage we're in. So bringing those tools and and frameworks in that everyone can share, so we can talk the same language and we can move really fast. Um, that's really one of the benefits of of bringing someone in who's who's been at a, a company that's that's been through the stages the the next stages of your growth, um, so that they can be like that Sherpa and uh, and. And help introduce some tools. Not all those tools work. It isn't a one size fits all. It's it's kind of getting in and, and looking to see what what the pain points are, what the needs, kind of what what crevasse you need to um, traverse right now, and and to pull that tool out to uh, to see if it might work. Um, and then the other thing is, is everyone everyone in the in this mix needs to have um, not only a sense of a, a sense of adventure, but also that growth mindset and willingness to embrace um, proven frameworks. Um, and not not have to invent everything, um, but also to recognize there are some things that might be in in uh, invented inside, and not not try to change everything either.
1: Right, right, got it. Did Did you come up with this um, uh, this Sherpa analogy for this podcast, or is this something you've talked about before? Because I like it. I actually when I was trying to think of it
0: I was I was thinking like what's a good example and I thought the Sherpa was because it's because it is someone who who they come across so humble I haven't used it before but I can't promise you that I haven't heard anyone else you know use it (laughs) so I wouldn't I don't don't know that it's a it's a Christy Marble original but uh, but it just seems to to uh, fit yeah
1: yeah I think that's great fabulous um Let's talk about your team. People always like to know how CMOs are organizing their team. Can you talk about your team at Pantheon, what what it looks like, and, and how you have uh, chosen to organize it, whether there's something you've done that's uh, kind of unique for the company?
0: Oh, gosh, I'm not sure if it's so unique. Um, one, one thing for me is, um, I, I look for a, a leadership team. Um, I, uh, either the leadership team is is in place when I come in, um, which. Usually there's, that's not the case uh, coming in at, at the stages of, of companies that I, I usually go into. So um, I, I usually need, there's usually a couple of leaders that I need to hire, and I really look for people who are better than me at, uh, at their specialty. So um, so that, that core leadership team that, that I'm looking for in the SaaS or the software space is usually someone to head growth, uh, someone to head product, Marketing, someone to head uh, brand and communications. I need a, um, a fabulous uh, content strategist, um, usually in, in that that area, and then um, someone who's going to be um, just passionate about the customers. Um, and so that, that's really the the type of leadership team I'm looking for inside of my direct leadership team. And then I'm also looking for who's my partner in finance, who's my partner in uh, HR, and who's my partner in um, in data or the sales um, sales side of the organization who are going to extend kind of into my leadership team and 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 work really closely with my leadership team. So. Um, and those, those aren't always, especially the partners, aren't always dedicated roles. Usually at this stage, they're not. Um, they're someone who has a different function, but, but they can be very transparent and uh, sit right inside of my leadership team. And then I always want to get to the ability to track return on marketing investment or ROI um, pretty quickly. So I typically will, will come in and um, kind of – look at look at where the data is, look at where the team is, and I'll try to group the organization that way so I know which part of the organization I'm gonna apply the costs into the cost side of the return on marketing investment side. And so um, at Pantheon, for instance, I have the growth marketing organization kind of grouped together and all of those costs go into our cost basis, uh, for, uh, in, inside of there is our analytics, our website, uh, a web, op- web ops and our, um, demand marketing and lifecycle marketing, as well as product marketing. And then I have, um, the, the corporate marketing and, uh, and includes content marketing and its relations PR and uh, and brand inside of one group that kind of sits outside of that ROI. That's, that's kind of the, the the cost of thought leadership, uh, that umbrella that goes over everything we do and, and lifts the performance of that. And then on the customer side, I actually, uh, that's where um, right now we have community and uh, and uh, developer relations and uh, and the customer side other of, the, of the, uh, the team. So that's, that's really, um, how i like to to structure at this stage um some of the keys there is making sure that the whole customer life cycle is is covered right sometimes you go into companies and they have the buyer's journey but they don't have a whole customer life cycle and um, most of the customer relationship happens after the contract's signed so so that becomes a pretty critical thing that i that i add and i always look to uh, to come in and ask kind of Who owns the website? Often when I come into companies, I'll hear, well, a number of people own it. Um, that doesn't usually mean that a number of people own it. It usually really means that no one is is taking ownership or accountability. And so I usually, uh, usually dive right into that right away because that's so critical to, uh, to marketing strategies and SaaS companies. Um, so, so I, I really make sure that, that in marketing, we have ownership and strategy, um, for, for our storefront, which is the website.
1: That's great. And I like your point about kind of drawing rings around the organization from a, from a uh, marketing return on investment perspective. I remember, this is years ago, I had a client when I was at Forrester, he was CMO of a major bank and he said, we're having this marketing ROI discussion, and he said, Geez, I have spent 300 million dollars to try to figure out what my return on marketing investment is, <laughs> and you know, and so, so what he did was he just drew rings around the spending. He was like, okay, I can, I know I can measure this part of it, this other part of marketing, you know, whether it was branding or you know, longer term stuff. You know, he, he was like, I, I, I you know, again, this was several years ago, but, you know, I'm not going to be able to measure this with as much um, specificity. So don't even, you know, so don't pour mo- more money into it trying to measure something that is more difficult to measure. And I, I just, that, that's always stuck in my mind. And, and uh, obviously our measurement capabilities have evolved since then. But um, this is cool, what you do. Um, cool. Um, let's talk about hiring. Um, you know, like one of my favorite topics. Um, Is there um, something that you have learned to do over time in your hiring that you haven't done, um, uh, you know, that you didn't do previously or that was kind of that is kind of new to the organizations that you have joined?
0: Sure. Um, One thing that. One thing that I do um, when I'm hiring a very a senior level a marketer someone who's gonna um, report to me is uh, and someone who's gonna be on my leadership team we're gonna operate like peers um, is I invest my first conversation with them um, you know when I'm first meeting them either being introduced by by a, recruiter like you or an in-house recruiter or if I've um, been introduced by by a friend um, is I invest the first conversation in answering as transparently as possible every question that they have. I, I try to make sure that they walk away knowing the strategy, and um, and also give them some insight into the organization, into me as a leader, and into some of the hardest challenges that that I expect that we're going to be facing, um, in the in the role that that they would be coming in to to join. And my objective is to um, is to make sure that two things. One is um, that they walk away from that meeting have a really good feel for um, for what the role what the job is because job descriptions don't don't always really cover cover those uh, the shades of gray in between and um, and so that when I actually move to the interview stage which I always do in a separate call or conversation is uh, is that they have enough uh, knowledge to answer strategic questions and uh, and to have you uh, to To have that level of conversation, so that so that I know I can get to how well they are at um, formulating a vision and uh, and leading a vision and leading a strategy. Um, so that's part of the method behind my madness. The other part of the method behind my madness is that. They um, the, the questions that they ask often reveal more than any question that I can ask um, about maybe their situation, why they might be looking for a new role, what some of the things are that they really don't like, um, for me to get a, a feel for what kind of a, a fit they might be, as well as their ability to listen. Um, so so I found that a really powerful way, and I've actually... Um, uh, have been able to to screen people out in that process, um, and it's typically people who who aren't really listening to the question that they pivot the answer to be, you know, something from their resume that they really want me to know. Um, that yeah, that you know, there's a listen to really hear and 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 respond, right, and solve uh, the question. That's pretty key to any marketing role. And, uh, and so, it's, so it's, uh, it's been a pretty effective thing for me. Um, and I wouldn't have done it earlier in my career because I probably would have thought it was too time consuming, but it's so worth the investment that, uh, that I, I do that uh, pretty much every time in uh, when I'm hiring uh, members of my leadership team.
1: I love that. I think that's great because, you know, there is this kind of natural, like, oh, let me, you know, let, let me ask you all about you. But then um, I, I know as an interviewer, sometimes I come out of those and I'm like, jeez. Oh, well, I mean, because I'm earlier stage in interviewing. But then I, I, I just wonder, like, OK. Yeah, how, are they really good listeners and do they really, you know, are they are they really good at, um, you know, how's their level of strategic thinking? Sometimes it's hard to say. Sometimes what I do in the middle of my interviews is I interrupt myself and I just kind of share something about myself or or ask them, um, you know, for their questions and, and the whole thing kind of pivots and takes a new direction, which is, which is fun. But uh, I like that. So in your case, you're kind of interviewing twice, like the first two teach, in a sense, or the first to, to inform, and the second to, to kind of be informed based on what they've learned so far?
0: Yeah, I really, typically in the first, I don't answer any questions except for um, when they ask me a question and then, it, then with my answer it evolves into something else that they ask, then I might ask a question, you know, more discussion type of question. Um, in, in that first, uh, you know, half hour, 45 minutes. Uh, and then I, I, I separate, I specifically separate and uh, do the do an actual where I'm interviewing, right, where I dive in and, and spend the whole, you know, 45 minutes to an hour where, where I'm, I'm asking them questions. I, I specifically try to leave at least one night in between um, so, so that they can assimilate and yeah. form, form some, you know, I always at the end of that allow, you know, give time for them to ask, any additional questions that come up, but um, but I I've, I've found that it works pretty well for me.
1: Yeah, that's great. Um, let's talk about diversity and hiring. Um, I'm curious to know it, kind of two things in one, like one is how you promote diversity in hiring, and then also your thoughts on when should we stretch the spec and hire somebody who brings a background that's not previously been represented at the company even if their background is not as obviously related as some other candidates who are more represented.
0: Yeah, and as you know from, uh, from working with me uh, in the past, I, it's, I may be a recruiter's biggest challenge or nightmare um, because, because I, flat, <laughs> I flat out require a diverse set of candidates at every stage of the process and um i'll push real hard um all all the way to the offer stage in, in my ideal situation and you are fabulous because you 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 delivered uh uh better than anyone i've ever worked with before um uh for me a couple of really strong cad- candidates all the way um to the end where it's almost hard to 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 make a decision on 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 one of of the two so um one, uh, one thing that, that I like to do is not just rely on LinkedIn, but to tap uh, different job boards. There's so many out there. Um, I think of Women Who Code and, uh, and, and other um, types of organizations that, that have a great opportunity to tap um, very very diverse um, groups. I did find uniquely when I moved from the East Coast to the West Coast, that on the East Coast, even with senior level uh, marketing roles I was hiring, I would always get more female candidates than male candidates. And then once I moved to the West Coast um, and I was tapping technology companies, basically marketers who, who had come up through technology companies, it, it took a huge shift that when I was trying to hire senior level uh, director, senior director, uh, vice president level marketers, that most of the candidates that I was seeing um, were, you know, or that were coming through for, for the roles were, uh, were, were men. And, uh, so, so that was kind of the first glimpse. I didn't, I didn't really identify it as being a tech thing until, until, um, I started reading more about it and, uh, and saw that it really, really was the case. Um, but so, so I really do, um, push really hard and, and I'll go out and dig through different boards myself, uh, to, to make sure that, that for every man I'm interviewing a woman and uh, that I have a, a, a definite um, mix of, of culture and uh, skin color. Um, once, you, once you have run international teams, then you really find out there's no excuse, right? Any, anything we're using here in the United States is just an excuse because out, my last company was in Canada and uh, just naturally got, and I'm not saying that the team didn't work hard to, to bring in, but um, yeah, it, this, this is a interesting dilemma for, for us in the United States, I'll tell you, because uh, in other countries, it's just, um, you don't have to, it, it, you, you don't have to work so hard to, to bring in diverse uh, candidate mix. As, as it seems to happen in the United States, unfortunately. So it's time to change it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, that's great, fabulous. Well, Chrissy, uh, we are out of time. Thank you so much to join, for joining the show. This is great to chat with you and to hear all about you know your career, your organization, your approach to hiring. Really appreciate you uh, being here, so thank you.
0: Thank you. It was a pleasure.
1: Thanks for joining us today for The Get. Join us next time with another guest. Till then, follow us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Spotify so you don't miss a thing.